Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Quick note before we begin, the Finding Genius Foundation, as part of the Finding Genius Podcast, has recently completed a book about understanding viruses. So the creation of this book was to interview 100 virologists, ask them a lot of deep, difficult questions, take the most difficult questions, and then re-interview the top 25 or so and ask them the hardest questions I could think of. And we compiled that all into a book. So you'll see question and four or five experts' answers. Question, four or five experts' answers. There's about 30 questions in the book. I think it's a great read for the layperson and for the researcher. talks about a lot of speculation in the world of viruses, such as are they alive or not, and why is it important? Uh, Why do viruses go latent or hidden or ineffective or sit in a person or an animal or another creature for weeks, months, years? and then suddenly become virulent and affect that person. Uh, so there's a lot of really provocative questions in the book. It's now on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and type in Finding Genius, you'll see the book on viruses. It's also on Kindle. The Audible version is in production and should be ready in approximately a month. But if you want to go and order it now, uh, you can do so again by going to Amazon or Kindle or go, go to findinggeniusfoundation.org and go to Publications. There's an opportunity as well to get the transcripts of all the interviews and to hear the original interviews themselves. If we had put them all together, the book would be about a thousand pages, but we condensed them down to make it juicy and concise and tight and very interesting. So I hope you'll check out the book. Uh, we're now working on one about cancer, but this is going to be our goal is uh, three times a year to come out with these masterclass books that I think will inspire new scientific research. And I hope you'll check it out. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius podcast now a part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Uh, today I have Ravanash Krishna Kumar. He's a postdoctoral fellow at University of Oxford, and he's uh, researching E. coli and how to use them to develop what's called uh, 3D bacterial printing. He's part of the Hagen-Bailey Lab. So Ravanash, thanks for coming. Uh, thank you very much for having me here. Pleasure to speak. Yeah, if you would, tell me about your research. Yeah, so this works actually across between two labs uh, at the University of Oxford here in Professor Hagen-Bailey's lab and uh, Professor Kevin Foster's lab, uh, who's based um, in in the Department of Biochemistry and and Zoology. Um, And the idea for this work that started was to be able to adapt um, a 3D printing technology uh, to position uh, clusters of bacteria in in defined spatial patterns to see how we could, if we could print different populations and and different strains and different species, um, could we print kind of community-based systems to ask uh, and engineer communities for our own goal to look at understanding how the spatial positioning of different different microbes within these communities affects kind of the stability of them and the productivity of the community. So, yeah, that's... What, that's what are you talking about? What do you mean? You, you're taking E. coli and you're trying to, what, put them into a, uh, like a stencil and just have them grow in a certain pattern? <laughs> yeah, yeah, essentially, that's right. So... So we use a we use a three D printer to print a clusters of populations of E. coli into into different patterns. So essentially, the uh, the kind of the ground where they're where they're stenciled into 
um, is a is a hydrogel, a very small little hydrogel of, of agarose, um, where we embed these bacteria within them, and we have different patterns of them, and then we see how they how they interact over time. Um, so what's the what's the point of that? Are you trying to mimic how they look in biofilms, or what are you trying to figure out from this? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. So it's thought of how in say like biofilm communities or any kind of microbial communities, whether they're you know living in ciders in in health in agriculture industry or water treatment kind of kind of microbial communities, they can often be the species strain can either be really really mixed together. Um, or they can be quite segregated in their own little patches. So um, a species might have like its little space in the community, and then some species will be patterned nicely around it at different at different scales. Or they could be really intermingled together. Um, so the idea was to to use this three D printing technology to kind of look at these questions. So if you have different different strains mixed together, how do they how do they interact? And if you have them segregated from each other, how do they interact? Uh, and the importance is the kind of the scale of interaction. So I think traditionally a lot of work uh, originally done on on agar plates would be kind of plating these 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 strains on centimeter scales. Um, but actually, you would find these bacteria naturally patterned at micrometer scales. Um, you know, ranging from like ten to ten to like one millimeter kind of scales with these with these patterns. And this is what we can use the printer to do. So we can pattern them in, in these different scales and then, and then look at how they interact at time. Um, yeah, are they ask, free to ask. move or are they stuck? You know, how do they interact? What do you mean? Yeah, exactly. That's a that's a good question. So so they are they are free to move, so they can move within this little little agarose hydrogel, but they can interact in a lot of different ways. So they can interact by consuming local nutrients or sending out diffusible molecules to each other or uh, touching each other literally and, and sending things across. So yeah, I, I guess the question is is what kind of interactions are we interested in? And the the first ones we looked at uh, was kind of looking at competition between these these bacteria. So we picked E. coli um, because it's a yeah a very known bacterium and it has this very strong uh, interaction where it can produce very specific toxins that kill kill susceptible strains of itself. So these are these are bactericins, um, which are a type of type of antibiotic, and um, they can they can uh, release these toxins to kill kill susceptible cells that can uh, basically how they establish themselves uh, within within a community. So we wanted to look at kind of this idea of diffusible toxin interactions and and spatial structure and use the printer to ask these kind of questions. Why would they release toxins if they're in a if they're in a community that's not really community minded? <laughs> they're competing. I can see that, but it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess that's kind of. Uh, describing how these communities are, so I guess a community in this sense doesn't it doesn't matter whether it, it competes or cooperates. It's just them interacting in a certain space. And, and you're right, yeah, there, there are there are instances of where the different strains of species will cooperate with each other, but there's also plethora examples where they'll be competing for space and nutrients within within the community itself. Well, if they're free to move, do you see a rearrangement to a particular pattern or? It sounds like a differential equation, and you have different uh, starting conditions. Yeah, but the equation. Yeah. If if the species are the same or the strains are the same, it's kind of the same uh, creatures there. You know, like what do you see a rearrangement, or what do you observe? Yeah, so for for us, if we're looking at this kind of toxin-based competition, we have the, the samples move a little bit, but they mainly they mainly just move by growing. So instead of like swimming swimming around within the sample, they're just they're just growing in their space. Um, 
and you're right that these can be these could be modeled really nicely via differential equations um, but it's hard to test these kind of systems experimentally hence the 3d printer uh, and what we're looking at is things not being there so let's say for instance you pr you print uh, a producer and a susceptible cell completely mixed and you you fluorescently label each cell and you look at the microscope in real time them growing up um, and then over time you'll see the susceptible cell literally disappear because it's been killed by the, you know, the, the diffusible toxin. And then we can look at these different patterns. So printing them mixed together or kind of separated apart and um, see how they interact. So yeah, if, if you're dead, you kind of, you're kind of not there, you disappear. It actually sounds like the game of Go. No, serious. I mean, I wonder if there's yeah. a line of bacteria or a region that grows into another region and changes it over for its own use. I mean, you know, literally it sounds like the game of Go. It's weird. So. Yeah, I, I guess it is, it's kind of playing these games with them. Um, so I think, you know, there's been a lot of theory and, and, and larger scale experimental work is the idea of, of you know, who's going to win in these situations um, when you have these two populations of E. coli competing. So um, if you generally well, So what, have, what do you observe that's useful? What, what are some things you've observed? So we, 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 we want to look at where, you know, coexistence between these strains um, um, happens and kind of where they're, uh, where also one strain would beat would beat the other strain, um, and we're you know we're interested in coexistence because it's interesting to see how like these community computer communities can develop and sustain themselves. And I guess the idea of if you have like dominance of one strain, this is related to possibly how you know a, a pathogen might come in um, and and break down a community. So yeah, diversity is is key key for this kind of idea. And so yeah, we're interested in looking looking at how they're mixed mixed and segregated with each other. So the kind well, of do you see that they form biofilms or you know like do you see certain strains never get along or certain strain variants or for some reason they just take over everything Before we continue I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now which has led to 2700 plus interviews of clinicians researchers scientists CEOs and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Yes, that's right. So, so the the the, two, the E. coli strains we were we were looking at, um, the producer produces this toxin, and you get different types of toxins. So the toxins work by kind of kind of really interesting. So uh, a producer cell has to has to lyse and release the toxin. So it's kind of sacrificing itself to protect its clone mates. And uh, basically, about one in two hundred cells will will lyse and and release this toxin. And the clomates um, aren't affected because they also encode for an immunity protein which neutralizes the toxin. So you're not going to self intoxicate. Uh, and when this um, this toxin is released and diffuses, it will translocate into the into the cytosol of the susceptible susceptible strain, um, uh, and will go in and either form holes in the membrane or break down via DNA damage. Or, or break down via RNA damage as well. So, and the difference between you know the, these two these two strains are literally one's carrying the plasmid that makes this toxin, uh, and this and the other other strain does, doesn't have it. So you know 
you know, they're almost identical, but not quite just because of this difference of carrying, carrying the plasmid. And the idea is that we found, you know, as you might predict when, when they're mixed together, that the, the producer always, always dominates because it has the, you know, the increased chance of uh, interacting with each other. Um, but when you start separating them apart from each other, you get scenarios where, you know, the producer completely still wipes out the susceptible. But we found really interesting scenarios where you have kind of weaker toxins that the susceptible will actually out, outcompete the producer. And that, that's kind of kind of interesting because it's I guess we didn't expect it on these on these very small micrometer scales. Um, as we know, these toxins can diffuse over really large scales and, and kill on plates. Um, well, do you perturb the system? Do you heat up? you know, a part of the, the plate where everyone's hanging out or change the pH in one corner of it, see how it affects all the bacteria across the plate? So, yeah, not, not the moment. So, yeah, the nutrients are completely, like, homogeneous in the system. Um, they're all exposed to the same thing. It's just the imposed, the imposed pattern, so where they, where they start with each other, and then you watch them on the microscope kind of, kind of fighting over, over time. Um, well, why not perturb one of them and see what happens, you know? Make, yeah. Uh, one area of the agar a little bit inhospitable and see if they migrate or what happens then yeah i mean i mean this is this is really interesting questions you're asking so yeah with the printer is the idea that we could print in already these perturbations so you could have you know, could have certain gradients of, of nutrients or like you said lowering the ph in a certain area and see how these bacteria move move between them but the idea for us it would be weird is, if uh, if you made a cache or a cache or whatever uh, you know a bunch of nutrient in one area and no nutrient around it, and see if they race towards it, and compete to, yeah. you know, to capture the flag. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and see and see how they how they how they kind of yeah capture the flag. That's right. But but the idea is for for us is is, is yeah is to use this printer as a way to test this kind of like spatial relationship. So if you've got a hypothesis about spatial structure between these strains of how they're patterned, like should they be mixed together to coexist, or should they be you know separated to coexist? Um, we can now look at that and, and, and test it. Um, Are you doing a 2D gel or a 3D? Because from what I understand, biofilms obviously are three-dimensional yeah, you know, in, yeah. in nature. And do these things form biofilms or do they seem to act separately on the, on the agar? Yeah, that's right. So initially we started with 2D patterns. So like the, the, the hydrogel block that we make, that we print, is about 900 micrometers by 900 micrometers by 100 micrometers. So that's in the x y and then z dimension so it's a very thin little square block um the patterning we've done is initially 2d start with as we thought this was the the easiest way to go is to look at how if you if you if you separate them or mix them together in different patterns but you're right it's very interesting to, if we start looking at 3d patterns with different nutrient gradients on the top and bottom of how of, of how they develop over time um and at the moment yeah so these bacteria start from single 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 cells embedded within the agros, and then they grow into these these microcolonies. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Um, which interact via diffusion, so nutrients and other secreted molecules, um, but they're not completely a, homo- a homogeneous kind of biofilm, as you might see when, they, when things grow on the surface. And these are, these are more reminiscent of, of possibly like how uh, different bacteria grow in, in deep tissue wounds, or um, uh, even in the even possibly in the part of the mucus layer in in the gut. So yeah, it would it would be interesting to look at these in three D as well. well. What kind of things are you testing? What kind of patterns? Like, are you you know imagining in the agar you make a mark as if someone it was someone's skin that was cut, maybe a you know a, 
a 200 micron cut in the agar where there's no nutrients and yeah. see what the bacteria do as if they were, uh, you know, entering a wound. I don't know what, what kind of geometries would be useful for you to study and why. Yeah. So yeah, I can, I, I'll go into this now. So, so initially with the, the idea of being mixed or segregated, we can do graded degrees, which, which are the simplest start. So if you imagine starting for like you mix genotype NA and B together, and there's kind of no spatial structure. So you see lots of like blue and green um, kind of community, uh, uh, little, uh, little colonies uh, within this block. And then you can start creating uh, more patchier in a checkerboard fashion. So you might have, you know, small little blocks of 50, 50 micrometers where you have green and red, then 100 micrometers and then 200 micrometers. And then to the point that your block is just you've got green on one side and you've got you've got red on the other. And then you can look at the degree of the mixing between between these interactions. Um, so other other patterns we looked at is also the probe, the biology of these systems as well. So the idea when you have a, a producible producer on one side of the block and a, a susceptible on the other side, um, we had scenarios where the susceptible would you know completely outcompete the producer, and we had this hypothesis that you know the producer is producing this toxin at, at the at this interface, and we thought that the clomates at the interface of this of the producer susceptible strains were absorbing the toxins to let other susceptible strains uh, grow grow behind and, and proliferate really well. And you know the way we proved that is by producing strips of of different different genotypes. So we had a strip of a toxin producer and then a, a strips of, of different susceptible strains. And we could change out at the interface what strains we put there. Uh, what we worked out is that susceptible strains were like were actively absorbing the toxin to protect other strains from behind. Um, and let them grow up, and we and we found it was really due to having this receptor um, that the toxin binds to. So if you if you deleted the receptor, um, the toxin would just diffuse straight through and kill everything at the back. Um, whereas if you had this receptor in the in the susceptible strip, it would it would take it up, absorb it, and protect strains behind it. So it's interesting, like by probing kind of these fundamental questions of space structure, you also kind of elucidate biological mechanisms that you weren't you weren't really aware with to start with that you, you could you could hypothesize what, what, that could happen um what, what do you mean they're like, picking up i don't understand so there's a leading edge of once bacteria have grown into a micro colony the leading edge of them will pick up what useful molecules and then spread it to the the bacteria that are within the micro colony behind them so yeah not not quite sorry so i don't think i've explained this well so say you have like yeah lots of colonies of this producer strain um and then next to them, you have uh, lots of colonies of this susceptible strain. And there's an interface between them. So they're divided up nicely. So you have producer on one side and you have susceptible on the other side. So the producer is going to make this toxin that will diffuse from the producer's colonies uh, and then start hitting the susceptible microcolonies. Um, and this will start killing the susceptible strains. And what we found is that the susceptible strains um, nearest the interface were actually, they were dying, but they were also grabbing lots of other toxins in the process so they were they were like diluting out the concentration of toxin um so that the toxin didn't get past them to strains to other sort of strains behind them to let them to let them grow up um so it shows the importance kind oh, of, wow. of, of, of structures in these systems and so they were sacrificing themselves you mean? yeah well yeah well you could say that they are sacrificing themselves uh to do it um whether this is, you know, this just accidental sacrifice or, uh, you know, some kind of evolved me mechanism is yet to be determined, but, it, you know, it definitely happens. And what's really cool is about the print is that 
you know, you have this ability to kind of, you know, make these nice little strips to test these examples. So say you put A in front of B or B in front of A, you can see if they absorb the toxin or don't absorb the toxin. And then you can make mutants to see what receptors are responsible and what receptors, you know, stop this toxin going going past. Um, so it's kind of like seeing this, I guess, synergy between what might be traditionally 3D, 3D bioprinting and kind of looking at the ecology of the system, which is really interesting. Well, again, looking at these micro colonies, are they bound together? Are they still free floating? Are they biofilms? What do they look like? Yeah, so these micro colonies are, you know, they grow from single cell dispersions into like 3D spheres that are about, depending on how tightly tightly uh, you pack them, about um, uh, 30 to 50 micrometers um, in, in kind of radii uh, of these spheres. And they're, they're tightly packed um, spheres of bacteria that have also these kind of EPS that are produced between them. So I think I think people are starting to look at the 3D structures of these microcolonies, especially when it comes um, to looking at diseases of these of these microcolonies and tissues. And what the, is EPS? Uh, sorry, e- EPS is um, external polysaccharides. So you know, bacteria when they're forming biofilms can produce these uh, these polysaccharides and polymers to um, um, uh, to yeah to protect themselves from the environment essentially. Uh, and to stop things. Well, what do you in. observe within each colony as it starts growing? You know, it starts from a single bacteria, I guess, and then you know each of the micro colonies before they interact. What do you notice and how they grow? What's interesting about them? So they they kind of I think they, they they kind of grow as you you might expect. So like if you look at them on a two D plate, they they kind of grow in a nice monolayer. So they just you know they're just doubling all these bacteria are doubling around each other, um, and then they start stacking on top of each other. So if you say you embed a bacteria in a, in a hydrogel and you look at them, look at the grow, the time, this is kind of replicated, but in 3D. So you see, you know, it divide and divide again, divide again, divide again, divide again. And then if you, if you, if you stain for these certain polymers, you can see them starting to be produced over time. So that, that in itself isn't, I would say, like, you know, really novel or anything like that. But what is interesting is that I guess you, you can look at, see, see these toxins coming into the system. Um, and hitting hitting these kind of colonies and seeing how they develop over time. And the idea is that, yeah, you, you see these um, ones at the at the edges of the of the colony are kind of absorbing it and protecting the ones in you know in the center of it. Well, what if you have two colonies separated by a number of bridges instead of just you know they can connect to any way they want, and the toxin has to come across a bridge or two? It might show you different behavior about how they interact. Again, if there's only you know one or two ways in for the toxin or interaction when it happen. So yeah, the to- the toxins are, are, are just are, you know diffusing through this diffusing through this hydrogel. Um, but again, they and, don't have to. You could you could put you know impermeable layers or impermeable barriers so that it can only go through one channel. Yeah, that's right. You you could do that as well and see. Um, I, I, you know, in a sense, this is what the bacteria are doing for their clomates. You know, they're creating those kind of imperme- impermeable channels or, or protective barriers to let their to let their clomates grow up um, so yeah i think i think the system is amenable to a lot of these a lot of these different changes um, when it comes to kind of looking at spatial mixing and, and spatial segregation i think i think where we want to go with this um a lot more is build you know a lot more complex kind of communities so the example given here is looking at these these two competing populations of of e coli and looking at how you know, if you mix them together or, or, or segregate them, how how what if one wins or, or one loses, and on what kind of mechanisms to keep one winning or losing. But if we if we start different printing lots of different strains and species, it'll be interesting to see how 
spatial structure has an impact on their interactions, whether they're mixed or, or segregated in these patches. Well, what about critical mass? You know, if you have a colony that, I mean, how many bacteria form in these colonies typically before they turn on a certain activity? Is there quorum sensing based behavior that doesn't occur until the colony has like, you know, a thousand bacteria in it or something? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question. So these toxin-producing bacteria, well, these toxin-producing E. coli that make the colicin, um, some strains that we've used in, in our experiments do have this ability to uh, kind of, yeah, reach quorum and, and upregulate the toxin production. So the idea here being that if you're a producing cell that's, that's lysed and then, you know, the toxin diffuses around and it hits another clomate, they might import the toxin um, and then they'll amplify their toxin production. So you can see these kind of progressive ways at the interface of when one toxin producer lyses, another one will, will you know, will lyse and, and so forth. Um, and, you, and then in these examples, you see that massively amplified um, when you say you have two producers against each other. So the way that the toxin is released is dependent on DNA damage. So if you have two producers against each other that, you know, are both creating DNA damaging toxins, they're going to both massively amplify their toxin production and um, annihilate another, which is really, which is really interesting. So with regards back to the question of, of spatial structure, when we put these two auto-inducing populations of E. coli so they can amplify their production of toxin in some kind of sensing mechanism, we found them the more dominant when you mix them together would win. But really interesting, when you separate them together, which is, you know, the prediction is usually when you separate things, uh, you'd expect coexistence because they interact more weakly. We actually found, you know, mutual destruction of both of them. And the idea here being is you give each other an ability to build up the toxin and then send it across, across to one another and then they, they completely eliminate each other. So sometimes the predictions that, predictions that seem intuitive aren't always the ones that happen. What about phage activity? How are you supposed to reckon with that? You know, what if a phage is killing one of the strains and it's not the toxins themselves so yeah we we, we haven't really worked with phages but um i think looking at phage well, you, through, you probably are working with them unintentionally because they're probably coming along for the ride so i mean yeah any kind of they will probably have some cryptic phages cryptic phages meaning that they've 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 got some genes i guess from from phage that don't make the phage anymore uh, but you know in, in the top in the toxin system itself there, you know, there, there, there aren't any phages involved that we know of, but uh, yeah, I think looking at like phage progression through these through these systems would be really interesting as well. So again, if you have you know clomates that can you know that are resistant to phage, can they protect you know phages behind uh, and so forth? But yeah, I think that is very interesting as well. Well, I don't know how carefully you could filter, but if you're not filling, filtering down to I guess you know a 50 or 100 nanometer level, I don't even know if you could do that. You probably have phage coming along with you that are in the gel with the you know the bacteria. They're not probably alone. Would be my guess. If I accidentally sneeze on the sample or something as well, then you could have a lot of lot of different phages. But yeah, they within the system the phages will easily diffuse. So say you you know you printed phages and wanted to see how they propagate through different different bacteria barriers. You know on one side of of the of the hydrogel array, um, it, they would easily propagate. You know go in lyse the bacteria and then carry on propagating through the system. So it'd be interesting to see how to how to stop these kind of progressions, um, and these have been reported, you know, naturally in biofilms as well, right? Seeing it. So again, what what are your goals? What are you trying to figure out specifically? So yeah, the the, the current goals are to just generally look at like you know 
what kind of of structures in a in a in a microbial community can make the make the community you know productive productive being increasing its biomass or or stable meaning if you if you perturb it to to you know using an antibiotic or or pathogen how quickly it can recover so the idea is to print um um lots of different strains in 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 either mixed or or, or these kind of segregated clone clone patches um to see what leads to kind of coexistence over time. And we, we did this test, you know, with E. coli because um, they're very well studied and, and these, this collison system is known in E. coli because they naturally compete in our gut and in other guts um, using these, using these toxins to establish, to um, establish themselves in space. Um, but to progress it is to look at different, different kind of bacteria that we find within us. So to look at a subset of, of say very dominant species within our, our gut microbiome, um, if we if we print them, you know, mixed together, how how do they how do they interact? And and you know, does one strain dominate over time, or do many strains stay stay diverse? So that's kind of where we're going with the the technology and what we want to look at. Yeah, why do you have only E. coli? Why don't you try to mix E. coli with one species and then E. coli with another one and another one to see the interactions? And to elucidate possible interactions in the gut, for instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 exactly what we want to do. So it was just a test initially with the E. coli. So we're currently now working with um, uh, the genus uh, Bacteroides, which is one of the one of the most dominant genus, I guess, it, I guess in our in our gut. Um, and we're looking at maybe five to six six, six different species um, that are known to interact within our gut. Um, and and to print these in different patterns of being mixed and segregated to look at to look at um, how they develop over time. I, what's what's really interesting is between it, as we were talking at the beginning, you know, this idea of of of, of competition and cooperation between between these interacting species is that the bacteroides, um, you know, are known to kind of uh, uh, to cooperate with each other within the gut microbiome and also also compete. So. They're kind of known as the foragers, so they can produce a lot of these um, extracellular vesicles to degrade certain food particles that we can't. <laughs> At the same time, they can also produce a plethora of toxins uh, uh, to ki- to kill one another as well. So, be, yeah, we know that they're very dominant. They're very dominant, and you know they exist. You know, there's not necessarily a dominant species. They, you know, they exist. Many species exist within us. So, it'd be really interesting to put this these these strains together and species together and and see. You know, does one does one win? Does one beat all of them, or um, uh, are we going to get a stable kind of ecosystem? Well, can you try one or two experiments where you get some gut cells from a person, keep them cultured, and then put different kinds of E. coli strains in there with them and segregate them and put them together and see what happens? Yeah, yeah, these are these are these are all really good questions. So that, I guess this is more about the technology. So um, initially, we just wanted to to test this kind of like I guess use this three D printing technology for um, just looking purely about bacteria and, and, and asking these kind of fundamental questions of of space and interactions. Um, but looking at you know can we develop it further? So yeah, you're right. Can we can we print some of these uh, you know gut epithelial cells to you know create a frame and then have a really nice kind of mucus layer on top where these bacteria would would sit and then yeah exactly that print them in these different patterns on it to kind of see you know is there any any kind of host interactions um another way is kind of we would like to look at is kind of pathogen pathogen evasion assays so say you've got you kind of you kind of print um a small community of strains and then you just put 
you know, you can print in um, a pathogen and you can see how it propagates throughout the community. And depending where you put the pathogen, it might be interesting to see if certain strains are needed to, you know, outcompete this pathogen. Okay, well, very good. Um, what's the best way for people to find out more about uh, your research? And I don't know if you have any cool pictures. And yeah, I don't know if you spelled out your name in bacteria. Like the Robin Ash <laughs> colony fights the, you know, Susan colony. It'd be funny to do. Yeah, I always at the end of my talks, I've got a, I've got a smiley bacteria printed face uh, that I always put in. Um, but yeah, you can you can find out more more about this research. Um, if you if you look at the the Hagen Bailey Group and and Foster Group Kevin Foster Group um, uh, websites, um, and we and we recently published some published some papers on this that you can find out about it, um, which is really cool. Very good. Well, Ravanesh, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure to talk. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.